This is Cuman. This is Caleb. Welcome to Life Unwasted, a podcast where we look into our past to discover our present. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We are excited um, uh, to have uh, another guest on um, from the class of 2002. 2002. Uh-huh. Wow. Man, that's crazy. Um, and uh, uh, you know, j- just a reminder to everybody, um, Life Unwasted is a podcast where we interview missionary kids. Um, a lot of them were our friends growing up in the Philippines. Uh, we all went to school together at uh, uh, a school called Faith Academy, or many of us did. Um, and uh, uh, we're kind of just bringing up memories from the past, processing them, thinking about how they formed us and, and uh, what they mean to us now. Anna, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and maybe give us some folks a couple of details about yourself just so they can kind of place you in uh, time and space. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Anna Clark Miller, uh, formerly Anna Clark, <laughs> um, but I graduated from faith in 2002 and I've been on a, a long journey that's kind of Uh, currently I'm a therapist, I'm a mental health therapist, and I specialize in treating religious trauma. And so I've, I've definitely done a lot of thinking about, you know, where I, where I came from and the religious messages that were involved in it all. And, um, and just kind of like figuring out what life looks like at this stage. And, and that's kind of how we connected because I, I don't think human, I, I don't know about you either, but I don't remember having that many interactions with you at, while we were at faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I think but, I, I knew who both of you were, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember any like conversations or interactions necessarily. At, but, you know, I, somehow we connected on Facebook and I saw some things you were posting and I thought, well, you're, you're really, um, really trying to process a lot of this stuff. So we had reached out to you mm-hmm. and had a conversation a few oh, was it months ago. And, um, uh, it was a really interesting conversation and you had a podcast that you were working on and, um, you've since launched it. Uh, you've interviewed me on there, which I really appreciated. Um, it's called, uh, Martyr She Wrote. And, yeah. um, you know, I, man, I said a lot of things on that podcast that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily bring, um, here. So I truly appreciated that. And, and you had the opportunity to tell your story as well. So I, I would encourage anybody who's listening, um, check out Martyr She Wrote. I listened to it on Spotify, but, um, uh, that th- I want to thank you for that experience. It was really, um, it was really difficult, but yeah. it meant a lot of me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been a, a, quite a project because it is so personal. And, uh, so it's, it's primarily focused on religious trauma and just, uh, me interviewing different survivors. And so it, it's been, uh, it's been really emotionally taxing, but also really life-giving. I feel like to hear so many people who are recovering and discovering like a new way of existing in life, you know, post-religious trauma. So I've, Mm -hmm. I've really loved it. Um, so I want to encourage everybody to, to go check that out, but Anna, you know, I, this is a podcast about uh, being Mm -hmm. an MK and that kind of space and experience. I guess I'm wondering what, memories have been coming up for you these last couple of months as you've been going through stuff like what what have you been bringing up and processing yeah it's it's interesting because you know i just had my 20-year class reunion it was actually here in dallas um it was this past summer a couple months ago and so and and y'all reached out to me around the same time as that reunion. So I've really been thinking about my middle school and high school experience at Faith. Um, and it's so interesting to like look back at past parts of your life through through the eyes of who you are now and like kind of contrast 
and compare that with the way that you felt about it then. And I feel like back then I definitely saw faith as this like intimidating place where like everybody was so cool and like they knew all the cool ways to be teenagers that like I didn't know. <laughs> um, and so I felt, I felt really, I think insecure and like, I, I saw exclusion around every corner at that point in my life. But now looking back on it, I realized just how pure the intentions were of a lot of the people that were in my class and classes, you know, close to mine. And I guess it's kind of sad to think that like I cheated myself out of some of the great experiences I could have had there because I was so convinced that nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted you. Yeah. Oh, really? Anna. We have I think a lot of us felt that. Right? I think a lot of but, us felt that. But yeah. what is that? Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely there's there's something about being, you know, third culture kid that like you get it in your head that you're just not going to fit anywhere because hmm. you don't really belong, but also you don't really belong anywhere else. And I think I had been, you know, homeschooled as a younger kid. And so I didn't really know how to be around other people my age and just be like peers with them, you know? And so I, I don't think I was ready to be at faith and to just feel like, oh yeah, I'm just one of the, I'm just one of the kids, you know, I'm not, I'm not sticking out like a sore thumb. Like I didn't see myself that way. And so it took a lot of adjusting really, I think till my senior year before I was like, oh, I, I fit here. I do fit here or I can at least. When was it that you first went to faith? So we, my family was on furlough in Houston, Texas in sixth grade. And then I, I was at faith from seventh grade till graduation. Um, so yeah, pretty much middle school and high school. I did a couple of years of outdoor ed um, and then, you know, high school. So I, I tend to throw around the, the TCK a lot. Well, that's just the way TCK is. <laughs> um, you felt like an outsider there, but like, where does that come from? Like, what was it? What was it like for you to be the outsider and where did that come from? I think I've actually done a lot of research on this, um, since kind of starting my career in psychology. I really was interested in why, why the TCK experience is so unique. And it's weird because some of the research that I've found actually suggests that third culture kids are, have a much higher likelihood to have, um, schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder. Um, and essentially that's just like, any, any kind of like mental state where you feel split, like I'm two things and I can't be them at the same time. And so I have to sort of mentally split. And that was really interesting to me because I actually have a, an uncle. Well, I, I had an uncle who uh, was schizophrenic and he was a, a TCK as well. And so like the, the rabbit hole that I got on was like, what is it about being a third culture kid that makes you feel like you can't be this integrated human that just belongs? And, you know, some of the, some of the literature out there just talks about how we as humans, we want to be in a tribe. We want to belong. We want to be like these people around me. They're like me. They get me. And there's something about being a third culture kid where it's like, you don't quite feel like people get you because you're from somewhere else. But even if you go back to that place, it's like, now you're so different that even those people don't get you. 
And it's just this sense of like not having a tether, like not having a home. And I think that's, that's just so deeply what I experienced as a kid that even, you know, by seventh grade, I was ready to just see the whole world that way. Like I was ready to just believe that there was nowhere that I was going to belong. And fortunately, I'm glad that like post faith Academy, I have found a lot of people that even though they've grown up in totally different places than me, I'm like, man, I do belong. Like I do have people. I do have people who understand the way my mind works. And it's not about having grown up in the same place. It's a deeper connection. Was there any time at faith or in the mission field that you had a sense of belonging? Or was it experienced throughout your years of faith that you always felt you didn't belong? Hmm. I think, I think there were glimpses at Faith Academy, especially when I was like, I was really into theater and choir and, and there were definitely people that I just spent an absurd amount of time with that I started to feel like, yeah, you know, this is, this is like family. Um, but also I remember (laughs) It's weird. I, you know, I've been listening to your podcast. I listen to all of season one and a lot of the folks that you've had on have talked about like dorm life and, you know, the pros and cons of that. But I, I definitely remember being so jealous of the dorm kids um, because it just seemed like they all knew each other and they all had this like shared camaraderie and like they didn't they just like got to have sleepovers like every single night and and I hated having to like drive all the way to Quezon City every every evening after school and so there was definitely a part of the like half boarding school half Mm -hmm. you know commuter culture that also kind of created a a, I don't know a divide it's called trauma bonding <laughs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm wondering, you use the word split. Like, like what help us under help me understand that? Like, what is that? What is that? I think part of the missionary experience, missionary kid experience is like this expectation that you're sort of performing a role of like showing showing everyone what a good Christian kid acts like and looks like. Um, and then that's sort of contrasted with the part of you that is just a kid, you know, like just a child who doesn't want to be appropriate and doesn't want to be a good example, but just wants to like throw a tantrum. And so like, for me, that split was kind of this constant tug of war of like, how do I, how do I be good and like help my parents with their ministry and like not be a stumbling block for people contrasted with the part of me that was like, I'm just pissed. Like I'm just mad and I'm hurt and I'm misunderstood. And like, it just didn't seem like I had a place to let that out. And so it was like this dichotomy. Hmm. What's, what's a memory that sticks out to you? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, okay. So here's a faith Academy related one. Um, when I was a sophomore, I was taking AP English at Faith Academy um, and the professor will remain nameless, but um, they, we were discussing, I think it was like Catcher in the Rye. And I love that book to this day. It's one of my favorites. 
but it, it's about this like really angsty sort of existential crisis that this kid has who has like a savior complex and it's 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 a lot but i remember having really strong feelings about it because it did resonate with me and after we had our like class discussion on that book the professor like pulled me aside separately and was like hey I really need you to not have such strong opinions because I feel like you're swaying the other kids in the class to agree with your opinion because, you know, it's like you're persuading them. And so I need you to tone down your, your opinions. And I was so deeply hurt by that because it was like that was one of the first outlets that I had found to talk about how I authentically felt. And here was like a Christian, you know, leader telling me, you need to cut that out, you know, like tone that down, stop thinking. So stop, you know, being opinionated. And, and I think I really like sort of connected that with being female, like, you know, good, good Christian women don't, have strong opinions. And so like, to me, that was a pivotal moment of sort of being like, I guess I have to choose. I have to choose between having authentic connections with people and saying what I really think or saying what's agreeable and like, what's not going to ruffle feathers. And that was, I felt like that was a really quintessential sort of example of that feels like a split yeah wow why that memory yeah why of all all the ones of all the memories why that one um i think i just felt really misunderstood Hmm. in that moment like by this person who was a a female missionary who had strong opinions. I just really thought like of all the people I should be safe here, like being able to say what I think and not be judged for it and not be told to like tone it down. And it just felt like a betrayal, I think. And I actually ended up dropping that class because I was just like, I can't, I don't feel safe here anymore. You know, like I, how can I say anything else about what I think in this class without worrying that it's, you know, going to upset the balance of power or whatever. Um, So yeah, that, I mean, that just was, I think a big deal for me, but also I think it pushed me to recognize that sometimes I do have to set boundaries You know, like dropping that class was me setting a boundary and saying, I don't want to stick around and stay in a place where I feel stifled and silenced. Was that an isolated incident or were there other incidents similar Hmm. to it? Nothing else, I think, as overt as that. But there were definitely times. I mean, I think any female um, student at faith probably has some experience of being told to like, you know, be more ladylike and more demure and more agreeable. Um, and like, it's not any one thing, but it's, it's a very common experience, I think for, for girls in, in the evangelical world. Yeah. I have no idea what that experience is like, but as you were telling that, you know, I, you know, disrespect feels a certain way and it feels a certain way when people make you feel small mm-hmm. and, and just hearing you retell that story reminded me of the times I was made <laughs> to feel um, small or that my needs were unimportant or that, um, you know, I, again, like go with the flow. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, comply, don't be yeah. don't be disagreeable. Yeah. But then Anna, you also used the word betrayal and mm. Dis- mm. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yes, she because this lady teacher who in Anna's 
teenage mind was also a strongly opinionated female. Right. And Anna thought of all the people she would have her back, but then she did not protect yeah. her. Rather, she took her aside and tried to and silence betrayal. her. Betrayal. Uh, do you think that may have affected your later years? Or, yeah, what, is, what does the word betrayal yeah. mean yeah, to you? Like, why, why that word? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, not to get too into religious trauma, but there's, there's definitely a lot of sort of like generational reincarnation of the same you know just inflicting the same subjugation on people that that happened to you and and i i've seen that with my parents i've seen that with people you know teachers at faith academy um and i've seen that in my interactions i i've worked at a church in the states for almost 10 years um after high school um, and, and I feel like there's just a lot of recognizing that it's so easy to be mistreated, but then to just turn that around and like continue that with the next generation, because it's like, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. Right. And, and I guess that's kind of how I felt with that teacher was that, I have no doubt that she had experiences in her life of mm. being told you need to, you know, tone down your opinions and you need to be more compliant and more agreeable, but yet it, it just seemed so easy for her to tell me that exact same thing. And it just felt like, Hey, can we just like connect on a personal level for a second and acknowledge that this kind of sucks that generation after generation of women is, is, are being told this same message and we're just perpetuating it. I don't know. Mm. It, it, to me, it just is really, there's nothing sadder than being the victim of something and then feeling like you have to keep it going. That's just so sad. Yeah. Anna, we, you've listened to our podcast and you know that we do a section where you get to talk to your 10th grade self, <laughs> but, I, but with you, I want to take it a step farther because you are a counselor. Uh, what would you say to that teacher who's having the interaction oh. with that 10th grade Anna? Oh crap, man. <laughs> I, I would have had some choice words for her. I think uh, back at this time, but I, I think I have a lot uh, being more. you now. I mean, yeah, being yeah. The civil you now, what, how would you how would you intervene in that situation when that teacher took the 10th grade Anna aside and you were at that scene being you now? What do you think the conversation would be like? What would you say? Yeah, I feel like. I feel like adult me would probably. Go and just like put my arm around younger me, you know, just like as a sign of solidarity and like, I've got you. And then I would probably say to that teacher, like, hang on a second. Like, what's the message here? What is, what's the thing that you want this 16 year old to take away? Is it that she needs to quit thinking and needs to not be persuasive and needs to not communicate how she feels. Like, is that really what you want her to believe? Cause that sucks. And like, if you believe that about yourself, that sucks too. You know, yeah. everybody, everybody should be allowed to have thoughts and opinions and to say them forcefully and persuasively, you know, and it doesn't mean that everyone has to agree, but they are allowed to express themselves. And I don't know. I just feel like I would, I would tell, I would ask that professor, like how, how many times have you been silenced? And like, 
what what was that like? How does this show up in your life like today? You know, that that yeah. was, you know, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> who, who are you, you know, you know what I mean? And but mm-hmm. but I feel that was 20 years ago, and yet it's reaching forward in time into this moment, and I can feel it as you're describing it. Yeah, I can like, feel the vivid emotions yeah, that you're yeah. experiencing. Yeah. Well, and and I think just so many of my memories of being an MK were echoes of that same sort of sentiment of feeling like stifled and repressed and like, and, and feeling like I was being told that I was too much or too emotional or too, too something. And so I definitely feel like my career as a therapist, especially as a trauma therapist is like that sad little repressed girl is like being healed a little bit. Every time I listen to a client of mine voice their their experience and their feelings and their thoughts and their criticisms, you know, like just witnessing their true expression is so healing for me. And, and I just, I love being there to like, to give that to other people and also to just affirm that it, it wasn't right that I didn't have that, you know? Mm-hmm. Anna, I, I want to get uh, at least one or two more like really specific stories from you, but okay. for some of our listeners, um, religious trauma, spiritual abuse, those terms might be things that they're hearing now for the first time. Um, so if, if you could just tell it, just define, like, what does that mean? I think when most people think about trauma, they think about like a car crash or mm-hmm. a traumatic experience or something like that. Um, and I think, you know, for myself, because I definitely identify as someone who has experienced religious trauma, uh, what are the most frustrating things is people don't take it seriously and and very much diminish diminish it. So could you tell us a little bit about what that is and then about what you do as a trauma therapist? Yeah. Yeah. So you're right that there is sort of like a view of trauma or PTSD as like, you know, you survived a one-time really intense traumatic event and now you've got nightmares about it and flashbacks of that thing. And that is one way that trauma manifests, but um, just in the last few years, uh, the idea of complex trauma has been added to the ICD. That's sort of like the the medical diagnosis um, Bible, (laughs) if you will. Um, But it's this idea that PTSD symptoms can also come from a series of traumatic events or a long-term intense sort of survival experience. It doesn't have to be one isolated event. It can be a long-term feeling of, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. I'm, I'm in danger. I, I'm not safe. And I have to figure out some way to survive. And I think for a lot of people, especially people who are raised in maybe more fundamentalist religion, there is a a deep survival sense of like, I've got to figure out how to save myself by believing the right things. And then even if I somehow convince myself that I am actually saved, then it's my responsibility to save other people from like eternal damnation. And there's such a like fear and survival instinct that comes with that constant threat of, of eternal exclusion that I think, especially for kids, it's so hard to be raised thinking about that stuff and talking about that stuff all the time 
without internalizing it into like your nervous system where your nervous system is like, watch out, you're in danger. You know, somebody's going to die. You're going to die. Somebody's going to get, you know, damned to hell. And like, maybe it's going to be your fault or maybe, maybe it's going to be because you didn't do something that you should be doing. And like, for me and, and a lot of other folks who have religious trauma, it's a very visceral, physical reaction to those ideas of feeling like the weight of something really epic is on my shoulders and it, and it, not in a good way, <laughs> like not in a good way at all. Um, and so I think, I think a lot of folks with religious trauma can sort of identify it with that, that pressure, that, that pressure to like figure out how to, how to convince God to save you and to save other people and feeling like you're always being told, nope, you're not doing it the right way. Actually, this is the right way, you know? And so it's, it's a moving target and it's, it's just, it's really scary. And so I think, you know, people who have those PTSD type symptoms, even if they don't have one specific event, that's just like, you know, plaguing them and their nightmares or whatever, that doesn't mean that you don't have trauma. It just might mean it's a different kind of trauma. Is that weight still there Hmm. for you? Sometimes it's definitely less. It's definitely less, but, Hmm. but yeah, every once in a while I will, find my mind going back to like those old patterns of this is my responsibility. Like if somebody else is going down the wrong path, like it's my job to like save them and to, and to point it out and to point them in the right direction. And then I just, it's like, it's this big effort to sort of say, wait a minute, stop, slow down. You know, that's not all on me. And God is not expecting me to make the difference in everybody's lives. Like that just isn't my job. And, and like, I can talk myself out of that, but it it does take conscious effort still. Yeah. I remember uh, someone, one of our guests saying MKs have a savior complex. (laughs) I think it was Adam, Adam from season one, who you recently interviewed on yeah. your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, great. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so. Any other um, MK memories, either from childhood or uh, from school that, that you've been thinking about recently? Hmm. I definitely... I remember like, I think I was a freshman in high school and I had met somebody else in choir who had been diagnosed with like clinical depression, which is, you know, I had as well. That was what we called it back then, clinical depression. Um, But I remember just like talking to her about what that experience was like and being amazed, like there are other people my age who like know what it's like to be depressed. And I don't know, it was just really mind blowing to me, which is really funny now because I work with a lot of adolescents and I know how common depression is among teens. So it, it was just absurd that I thought I was the only one, but I remember faith Academy being a time of just like connecting with other people for the first time and realizing like, I'm not insane, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was really nice. It was really nice. I'm not insane. (laughs) Wow. I've, I felt that so many times. I also, you know, I wanted to ask you how many times have you recommitted your life to Christ? (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. Uh, at least a million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I was baptized three times. Um, definitely prayed the prayer of salvation, like, um, sort of just in case every just time. Case. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you can never be too safe. Right. When it comes to eternal security. Yeah. The mm-hmm. eternal, eternal fires of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, when did, when did you start to feel connected? You know, cause I agree with you. I, I mean, I agree with you. <laughs> I, uh, feel what you're saying in that I felt like such an outsider, even in my dorm, oftentimes, you know, um, and it wasn't until later on in, in high school that I actually felt like I was just starting to connect with people. And then, and then you never see them again forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, my senior year, um, I, I got really connected with a group of three other uh, other girls and they were, you know, people that I had just not really been kind of in the same social circle earlier in like our faith academy years. But I remember like going over to their houses, um, one family in particular, and her parents were actually both working at faith academy. And so I knew the parents and I remember like just being over at her house with her family, with her parents and being like, this is, this is what family is supposed to feel like. And like, I don't know that that was just a very, a deep imprint on me of just recognizing, like, it's possible to have a family where there's trust and there's closeness between parents and kids and like where you want to spend time with them instead of like wanting to run away. And, and so that was like that to me, like that's, that was the feeling that was the, the pinnacle of connection that I felt while at faith. What about with your faith friends? I mean, understandably, you going to this reunion recently means that you are still maintaining connections with your faith buddies. Well, why do you think that is so after all these years? I really haven't maintained connection. Like I would say there's probably only a couple of people that I've even had a full conversation with since faith. Oh, Um, and, and it was really hard for me to decide to go to the reunion because I was like, uh, really scared, honestly, like, I don't know. I don't know what I was picturing (laughs) that it was going to be like, but it was something really scary. But I think I'm just done pretending and I wanted to go and just be unabashedly me. And it was kind of cool to see all these people that like 20 years later, it's like, I still see the personality that was there before, but I'm able to just connect with them without, I don't know, filling in so much crap in between. You, you used the word split before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I feel like, you know, at the reunion, I just showed up and it was just me, you know, it was totally me, like with my tattoos, you know, I came out as bisexual last year and I was really worried that some people would have like seen that on Facebook and like judged me for it. But I was like, you know, F it, like, I'm just going to go. And I'm going to just be me. And I'm not going to lie about the fact that I'm not religious anymore. I'm not going to lie about the fact that I'm a religious trauma therapist, you know, but I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to be present. And it was really cool to see two or three of the people that I was not close with at all at faith sort of like came and found me and were like, just just connected. And I don't know, it just sort of restored my, 
my faith in, in the fact that like, no matter where we go and no matter what our journeys are, that like, there's always hope of connection and of acceptance. And, and I'm glad that I went to that reunion to sort of like prove that to myself again. Are there any bright spots from your face days? <laughs> your missionary could we experience. could we take a pause for one second on because i, I okay. human it's so funny because i i wanted to ask that question too and oh. you stole it from me <laughs> but i i want to stay on this for for one second um you don't know this because you haven't listened to it because we recorded it last night okay um, but we were doing an episode on purity culture and, and mm. ian said um when he was a kid when you pre, just pre-adolescent he said I, I was, he was dreaming of a room where he, that he could go into. He just wanted a room where he could go into where God couldn't see him. Oh, <laughs> right. And the feeling I got from that was just a moment of non-judgment, mm. you know, just a moment of not being watched, of not feeling the eyeball on you. Right. And is that God or is that this community we've created? And I guess I'm wondering if that's what it felt like going to that reunion. Yeah. I mean, definitely there's like a, a social anxiety piece there that's sort of implicit in religious drama of like, I'm worried that these other people are going to judge me for not being as good a Christian as they think I'm supposed to be. But, but there also, I think is like, if you, if you believe in God, there is a fear there of like, that's the ultimate social anxiety, right? Like what if God judges me and doesn't accept me? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's both, but I think I, I haven't deeply believed in, in, in a connection with God for a long time. I, I consider myself a deist, you know? So I think viewing God as, as someone who is sort of detached and like not involved almost helps me to not, not be so paranoid and like looking over my shoulder all the time of like, what's God thinking? Then instead it's like, I can just be accountable to myself and I, and to what I know about life and about what's good and what's, what's helpful for the world like, I don't have to also worry about this cosmic being who knows so much more than me, but for some reason won't let me in on all the secrets. Hmm. All right. Sorry, Kevin. Thanks for letting me interrupt. I just wanted, no, to, no, no, I yeah. just wanted to close the loop on that. And also, Caleb, you're doing a wonderful job of loop of looping in our audiences to want to listen to our other episodes. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, no, that was a really good episode, but when, when yeah, you think, I'm sure you got to that reunion and, and, and cumin, you know, it's a perfect timing for that question. I'm sure there were memories that you talked about uh, that w with your classmates, what, what bright spots came up? I stole your, see, I, I stole it back. I stole your question back. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. I think probably my, my favorite memories were outdoor ed and one choir tour in high school. And like all of those were experiences where it was just like a gang of us kids, you know, just like sleeping on the ground, staying up ridiculously late, jumping off, you know, piers into the ocean and just being like, I don't know, wild. And I, I, those are my favorite memories of like faith Academy is just like the trips and, and being in nature and seeing the countryside and, you know, not focused on necessarily learning, but also just really learning a lot. Mm -hmm. The irony of that situation is that, uh, Corregidor and outdoor head may have uh -huh. been for you physically the potentially the most dangerous place you could be in <laughs> the things that we did but so at the same true. time 
your soul was safe. And at the same time, you are not in a educational setting where you have to face judgment. What one thing I, I love about nature is that nature does not judge. And I think yeah. that's what that's why outdoor ed comes out so many times as a fond memory for all of us MKs. It's, it's because we were able to be in a place and space where we didn't have any probing eyeballs and mm -hmm. we didn't have to listen to lectures about how to be a good or bad Christian. All we needed to worry about is how to catch the chicken to prepare <laughs> our dinner. That was so true. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, it, it was a time that was devoted to having fun and like, that that was really important for me i think i mean was, so and zero supervision you know <laughs> yeah like like we were on the island of crigador crigador is this island in the middle of uh, manila bay that was the most like bombed per square inch of like yes. area of world war ii right yes and there's like like live bombs you know that people find yes. on the island and they're like hey here's a giant field this is where you're sleeping and then go roam the island do whatever you want like okay it's yeah. the 90s <laughs> or like um what was the name of the the like volcano that we went oh, to all oh yes, yeah. yeah so we went to all one year and like i remember swimming in the like lake that was like full of sulfur <laughs> and I had on a silver ring and it turned my ring black for like a month. Like that's how <laughs> intense the sulfur was. Yeah. And it was just, and then like, I think they stopped letting kids go up there like the year after because it was a live volcano. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, you had to keep your mouth closed because <laughs> if you got water in your mouth, it would, it would rot your teeth. It would like literally, <laughs> Yeah, it was a bait. It was too base. I think it was the opposite of acid or whatever. Like um, yeah. it was so base, it would eat away at your teeth. You had to keep your your um, uh, mouth closed. Pretty crazy. So, we did the craziest things. So physically, it's it's funny. It strikes me funny and as ironic that adults did not really care for our physical safety. Yeah, apparently, but for our emotional safety, they. <laughs> They did a lot of things to safeguard our emotional stability and soundness, mm. but it did us big detriment and it caused religious trauma. So sometimes, you know, the best I, adult supervision is no supervision. I would I would maybe suggest that they were worried about our spiritual safety, not necessarily and sexual emotional. purity. Yeah. 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 yeah because, Pretty you know, funny. at the end of the day, it's the spirit that goes on for eternity right right about the body right in that worldview it definitely makes sense to prioritize that but but you're right though that it's like man there were some pretty dangerous situations that we were in that i don't i don't know that anybody was like super worried about that and maybe they should have been what's they what's one that, to come to mind not the most dangerous situation you've ever been but like what, what what's one that comes to mind when you think about like i don't know if i would let children do that today hmm. um i definitely remember like okay so i i mentioned that, that i was not in a dorm and i like was the last person to get dropped off by the vans um that like would leave at 4 p.m um and so I wouldn't get to Quezon city until like seven at night. And then I had, they would drop me off like on this overpass thing where I would like walk over it and then go home when it was like literally dark outside. And I remember like that just being really normal, but me like as a white female alone at night, like I got followed a couple of times and I remember like like mentioning it to my parents and it was like, not that big a deal. Like they just weren't that worried. And I remember thinking like, okay, I guess, I guess now I know what the priorities are, you know? Yeah. What was that? How like old that were moment? you? Yeah. Oh, that was, I mean, that was middle school and high school. So you're like 12. What, what, what did that, what was that like getting that message from your parents? Oh, I mean, that was old news by then. Like mm. I, 
I already kind of knew where the priorities were, but it was just like confirmation that, that like you said, cumin, like the physical safety was not the priority, but, but spiritual safety. Now that was really important. And so it just, I don't know. It just felt like this dichotomy that I didn't know how to navigate at that time. And I definitely have a lot of opinions about now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm. One of the things, you know, and I I really encourage everyone to listen to Anna's podcast. And are are you on Apple yet? Or yes, you you are. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're on all the platforms now. Okay, good. Um, She's she's not on um, Stitcher. You need to get on Stitcher. I oh, want you okay. on Stitcher. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'll look it up. Yeah. You got to be on everything. Um. But one of the oh my goodness, now I lost it. Um. Uh. Shoot, I'm sorry, I lost my question. No, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it was something fabulous about how great my podcast is. <laughs> of course, of course. Anna does a much more professional job than we do. She has a <laughs> no. opening song and all of that and ending credits. And Hey, so. I, I think y'all should be among my ending credits because <laughs> really though, like I was not, I was not actually planning on putting my podcast out there until I talked to the two of you and you were so encouraging. And so just affirming about like, yeah, this is something that people need to hear and something like it doesn't need to be perfect before you do it, you know, and I, I am so grateful to you for affirming that because that is exactly what I needed to hear. And it gave me the push that I needed to like, get going. Just be you. Cause you're good yeah. enough, Anna. And Thanks. I, I don't take any credit for that. I literally sent Cumin a text message earlier tonight, um, j- just about somebody else who was, you know, hey, it took a lot of courage for me, but I'm reaching out to some folks that I haven't seen in 20 years. And I said, Cumin, that's what you did for me. Like you gave Aww. me that strength because I was so caught up in my head, you know, um, uh, very similar. I, I think I learned it a very similar way that you did where it's like, well, you know, who really, who really cares about what I think, you know? Um, and uh, now I remember what my question was. Uh, It was not brilliant. It was just, when I was on your podcast, one of the things I talked about was, um, in in high school, you know, like my dad was pretty uninvolved until I started talking about with spiritual, spiritual warfare stuff, Mm. you know, and then, and then he was engaged. Right. Um, but for all of my other needs, it was like, you know, there was like a year and a half or something in high school. No, not quite a year and a half, but over a year in high school. We're like, I never talked to him. I didn't, I was in the dorm. I never saw him on breaks. I never got emails or phone calls or anything. But then when they started talking about the spiritual warfare stuff, all of a sudden he came back in my life. Yeah. And, um, you know, so yeah, what, what are the priorities? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I, I have a lot of empathy for, <laughs> For those people, because, because (laughs) in their belief system, it makes perfect sense why that would be the priority, you know, and I get it. I, I so get it, but I just think it does so much harm and I'm just not willing to continue that cycle for better or worse. For better. For better, I, we I, I need, hope it's for better. We need trailblazers. We need pioneers. We need people who break the cycle. Everything's in cycles, whether it be vicious or virtual. So the harm of vicious cycles is that we perpetrate the harm done to us, and we unwittingly pass down the harm to our progenitors, to our yeah. successors. Yeah. But when someone like you, Anna, comes out and says, "No more of this bullshit." I'm breaking the cycle. Mm-hmm. We create a better world and we evolve as human beings. So thank you, Anna, for evolving yeah. us. Oh, thank you. I I hope that, you know, in a hundred years, they won't look back on what I contributed and be like, oh, what a fool. You know, like, like sometimes I worry about that. Like, what if I think I'm being such a trailblazer when really I'm just leading people astray? 
See, and, Anna, you're still judging yourself. No, 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 <laughs> of course no. I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to, I want to, Cumin, you, on, on the previous memory, you asked Anna what she would have told the teacher. I, I want to go back and going back to this, um, walking home at night saying, Hey, like, I feel unsafe. And having that dismissed, what would you say to that middle school Anna, that seventh, eighth grade Anna in that moment? Mm. That's a tough one. Cause I, I would like to tell her, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be here, but she did. She, she did have to be there. And so, I don't know. I think I would tell her you're going to make it, you're going to survive. And, and then, and then when you have the power to decide, you don't have to put yourself in situations where you're unsafe. I think I, I would tell her you're important. You matter. Your safety matters. Your anxiety matters. And like, maybe you're not in a situation right now where, where that's being affirmed or prioritized, but like eventually you'll be an adult and you'll be able to make decisions for yourself and you can prioritize your safety. And I, I think that's what I would say. Yeah. You don't have to split yourself in half for other people. Yeah. Nope. You don't have to experience schizophrenia. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, mental illness is one thing, but having to have a split personality disorder just because, just so that you could accommodate other people's needs, that's something no individual should go through. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. This has been great. Yeah. Really Human, has. any final thoughts? Everyone, check out our social media presence. We have a yeah, huge we're all over. We're huge. We're all we're over. Huge. We're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. We're everywhere. Yeah, we're people. huge. Yep. Yeah. So we're on Facebook. We we're on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. Just look us up, Life yeah. Unwasted. And we also have Twitter, people. Twitter handle. <laughs> L- L- Unwasted on Twitter. Everyone's on Twitter, right? Everyone's on Twitter. <laughs> and, and look, yeah. look um, this is now our fourth. F- oh, no. This is our now our fifth episode. Yeah. In season, season two. two. We are halfway through. But, Caleb, we haven't done a call to action in season two yet. So yeah, nah, it's not we haven't yet. really thought of one. Anna, what, what what would your call to action be? Um, as at, at not not necessarily as a religious trauma therapist, but as yeah. as Anna, what what would be your call to action to folks? Oh man, I think what I'm learning more and more in life, and what's definitely like helping me grow as a person is recognizing that life is complicated and like emotions are complicated and trying to just feel the positive ones doesn't do you any favors. And so I think my call to action is just like embrace, embrace the good and the dark and the bad and the hard and the, and the joy, you know, just like all of it, it all means something and life is worth living when you're living all of it. So I don't know, just if, if, if you MKs out there like me have a tendency to sort of try to shut out anything dark or heavy, like don't bother with that anymore. Like that stuff is what makes life worth living. Live a life unwasted, guys. Yeah. It's right in call to action. Embrace life in all its entirety. Absolutely. And we have zombies by Cranberry as our outro music. Turn that shit back on. I love that song. Yeah.
It's just so good. <laughs> yeah, All right, human. Is. Go for yeah, it. On, on the count of three, everyone. One, two, three. Go, go Vanguards. Go Vanguards. Woo!